Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is J.D. Covert. And J.D. is a retired Army officer's wife, a screenwriter, an author, and a survivor of the ultimate betrayal, childhood trauma resulting in DID, dissociative identity disorder, or multiple personalities. In her story, she writes what characters actually experience when going through trauma and has just written her first DID character in a novel, Beyond the Secret Service, which she is developing into a TV series with her writing partner. She also writes a blog, gettingtoknowus.com, to alter stereotypical views of PTSD and DID. So my next guest is going to talk about something that isn't normally discussed or understood. We're going to be talking about DID, dissociative identity disorder, which can happen when we've been horribly betrayed by those we trusted when we were very young, our parents or our caretakers. It's a survival technique, and JD is going to tell us exactly what it is, why it happens, and how to move forward. Here's JD. Okay, so we are in for such a treat today. I have JD Covert with us, and we're going to be talking about DID. And don't worry if you don't know what that is just yet. She's going to be explaining what it is. You know, betrayal absolutely harms us physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. And what it can also do is create DID. And JD will be sharing with us what that's all about and what to do about it. So welcome, JD. Thank you very much. So tell us, let's just start with what is DID? DID is dissociative identity disorder, or the common name is multiple personalities. And the truth of the matter is every human being is born with the ability to to split, although it's nothing like the movie Split, and it's nothing like Fight Club or some of the other fictional uh, works that you see about DID. DID is um, something that happens to children, and if it if trauma happens to you before, uh, after you're eight or nine years old, you will not develop multiple personalities. But what happens is it is it's a normal defense mechanism. It happens in our autonomic nervous system. I'm not going to go into great detail. If you're more interested in how it it uh, forms, I do have an ebook on my website that's totally free. You can download it and read more about how it forms. But for for the sake of time, we're just going to say right now, everybody has the ability to split. It happens in our autonomic nervous system. The part that really, uh, to me, hits on the betrayal is the fact that in our autonomic nervous system, um, it's formed in our hippocampus. And our hippocampus isn't matured until we're 18 months to two years old. And so, therefore, we are very dependent on the people in our life in order to teach to nurture us and teach us how to operate in the social engagement system of our brain. And if we don't have someone teaching us how to operate in that system, we learn how to function in the reptilian um, portion of our brain. And we all know that as fight and flight and feigning death. Uh, feigning death leads to dissociation. Of course, the first word in dissociative identity mm-hmm. disorder. So, um, you, you come into this world, there's your shock, and 
after that shock, you have people who are taking care of you and they're nurturing you and they're feeding you and they're making your, sure you're warm. The trauma has to be that you fear for your life. And so if a child, uh, a ba- as I was a baby, if a child fears for their life, they end up earning to operate in the reptilian uh, social system, their DNA literally changes, and they start producing twice as much adrenaline, and every type of reaction that happens is more pronounced. It's fight or flight or feigning death, whereas when you learn how to operate in a social engagement system, when something happens to you, you have the correct amount of stimuli, you have, uh, it may be painful, it may hurt, we may, uh, we have to all go through the same steps, we may grieve, we may get anger, but with someone who has been traumatized as a child, uh, especially when the hippocampus was developing, we look at everything that happens as um, something that's a 10. No, nothing's a five, you know, either things are zeros to 10 and everything in our life is a zero or a 10. There is no middle ground. So every, uh, so that's why I call it the ultimate betrayal is because when you've been traumatized as a child by that person who was supposed to be, uh, that you have this unwritten um, contract with that they're going to nurture you and take care of you and love you. And it doesn't have to necessarily be a parent. It could be in a daycare situation. It could be in an an orphanage. It can be um, sometimes it it may not happen until uh, it's that bully at school when you're in kindergarten or you're in daycare and there's a bully in daycare. So don't think I'm, I'm, I'm knocking parents here. But when we're in that uh, situation, our bodies learn to react in such a strong way that we are stuck basically in the first four stages mm-hmm. of betrayal and don't even know it. And so I just want to sum up what you said so far, and then I okay. absolutely want you to keep going with this. So it sounds like if, if I'm getting this correct, that mm-hmm. that only when we're at a, a very young age, because we're not, our brains are not totally formed yet. Yes. And when we're traumatized at that age by a parent, by a caretaker, by someone who we expect even at a very young age to care yes. for us, yes. that's when that's when this can happen. And betrayal is the breaking of that spoken or unspoken rule. So in the case of a child, that unspoken rule is, I listen to you, you keep me safe. Yes. Okay. And when that when that betrayal happens, we all have um, we all have parts, and a lot of people go, uh, "No," <laughs> but think about it. If you look at parts as being our experiences, and you, everyone says this: part of me wants to do this, part of me doesn't want to do this. It's because why? One time that was a really good experience, and then the next time it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And we can apply that to so much. And so when you realize that we all have parts, um, then it's a little bit easier to understand. So you have this child. This child is in fear for their well-being, for their life, basically. And think about a child. A child, when you were a child, 
things that are not scary to you now were being fearful and you were scared to death when you were a child. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're, we're talking a child here. So they are scared to death and their only reaction is feigning death because think about it. How many times has a kid tried to run and you can pick them up and you can hold them and confine their arms? Um, you, you, there's just so much that you can do to children. Children can't fight and they can't mm. flee. So they all they have is feigning death, which feigning death leads to dissociation. Dissociation um, leads to us at that tender age breaking off that part or that fearful experience. And because we can't deal with that, we have the amnesia that comes with it and, mm-hmm. and don't think about it. So next time you're triggered, something similar happens of that similar to that fearful experience, that altar is triggered and that altar comes out. So the child itself may not know all this trauma is happening to them. They mm-hmm. may not see or feel the fear or anything. And so um, that's where, you know, when you find out your DID, you feel like you've even betrayed yourself because what do we have this unwritten law that we know everything that happened to us Mm -hmm. and we remember everything that happened to us. And all of a sudden you're being told by someone that you don't. It it was very, very hard because people, you, you know, I remembered years when people would say that I did this, that, or the other. And I absolutely did not remember it. Wow. And, and, and I imagine it's a protective mechanism. I mean, thank goodness you didn't remember. You were, exactly. Yeah. Or you dissociated when this trauma was happening. So at what point did you, at what age was this happening for you? Do you remember the age or do you, were you told I, the I age? I don't. One of the ways I do re- know the age is because I have nonverbals. And whenever a trauma occurs, your altar is that age. So one of the things when um, you start working with a therapist and you start remembering things, because when you start talking to your altars Mm -hmm. and healing them, sometimes an altar doesn't need you to know what happened to them. They just need to know, I protected you. I need you to be respectful of what I did for you and not hate me. Um, Then, um, you, you don't have to know, but um, nonverbals are the, the children, the trauma that happened before you were able to talk. And they're the ones that give you nightmares. They're the ones who give you the physical symptoms that mm-hmm. no doctor can figure out what's wrong with you. And they just do not go away and no medication, no anything can help. Um, so I have just tons and tons of nonverbal personalities, which says that my trauma has been ongoing since possibly birth. Wow. So, so through, and I imagine you need a very qualified therapist who specializes or at the very least completely understands this type of therapy. And what was, take us into, cause I can't even imagine what it must be like to be, let's say, be in contact or hear from or feel, you know, these, these nonverbals. So what is that frightening? Is it comforting? What's the experience? (laughs) It's it in ways it's very angering. I like the majority of women. Um, I have 
been raped. And Mm -hmm. I do remember it because I was older. And so, you know, as you get older, you can handle a lot more than you could when you were younger. And so I very much when I met my first personality, that's exactly what I felt. Uh, Because, you know, in that sensation, you have no control. Someone is taking over your body. Uh, you you don't get a say, and they're totally doing whatever they want to do, and you're just you're just watching, and it is just um, it's a cho- shock. It's and you hate them with all your passion and being, just exactly like someone who's beating you up or raping you or whatever, and you have no control over it. I mean, this is how you feel about part of yourself. Mm. And so then when you start realizing the first thing you feel is all of those things you feel uh, when someone has betrayed you, you feel toward yourself. It's so incredibly difficult to explain. And because how could you do this to me? And it takes you realizing and, and actually learning and studying uh, what DID is and, and what it, to realize that this thing that happened to you is your survivor. And it's not because you're weak. It's because you are a survivor. And most of the time, um, it's, it, it's also intellectual and creative children that form uh, altars because you have to be, you have to live in la-la land. You have to be creative. Mm -hmm. And that is one reason why uh, you will create altars that may be animals. You will create altars who are the the opposite gender. For one thing, you're, you're just a baby. And a lot of times your protector is going to be whatever gender of the person who is abusing you. So, and that's so interesting because you would think it would be the opposite because you feel safer with someone unlike but that your, person. But your protector is someone who's got to defeat the person who's abusing you. So you're going to be someone stronger, which means that you may become the other, other gender. Mm-hmm. So if it's your mom, you're going to be a really strong woman if it's your father, you're going to be a really strong man. You will not become your abuser. Um, this is a survival technique, um, which is different. You know, older children will start to become and emulate their abuser, mm-hmm. whereas in DID, that's the last thing you want to do. Um, you're going to be the person who wants to take you want, you want to take that person down right. when you get older. You're the one that's going to, to be the one that does something to sure. you, that, that abuser. But you're not ever going to become that abuser, and you're not going to emulate that abuser. In fact, the people with DID are probably the least violent group of people on the planet. It's the people who are older who end up becoming the more violent, abusive as they grow up. Because how you've protected yourself is feigning death, is dissociating, which is a very Mm nonviolent. So your go-to defense mechanism is nonviolent. So you tend to be more nonviolent. Now, your protector is going to protect you. And sometimes your protector, especially as you get older, if you start learning how to be, um, you know, more defense mechanisms, Mm -hmm. your protector may be more uh, aggressive and and better able to protect you. Um, 
my protector fought off a, a pit bull that was attacking my dog. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So it, it's like what normal person is going to fight a pit bull? I mean, that's and win. another dog and win. Exactly. <laughs> Who's going to do that? Wow. Uh, no, not a normal person. But my protector, because that is my protector's only focus. They don't worry or think about anything else. They're just going to protect. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't protecting me. It was protecting my dog. Right. So um, it. It's, it doesn't have to be you, but um, you, you are a survivor, and that's your protector is survivor mode, and you will do uh, anything in order to protect. And you know what? Protectors could be just putting up boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, deviants, because remember, we're talking children. You're in a very, very uh, straight-laced family, and your protector could just be the person who colors outside the lines. Mm-hmm. They're deviant, mm-hmm. you, you know, are, are not right. your protector, but you're deviant. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that they're going to go out and be the great criminal. It just means, hmm, we're just going to go against. Uh, the deviant is the personality who just goes against the core beliefs that the, um, the, the host holds and because they're a child um, and they're protecting themselves Mm -hmm. then their deviant is probably just uh, going to be someone that um, you actually may like a lot more so now JD do you as the the host do Mm -hmm. you know and did you know when a um, another personality was taking over or do you not feel until something after or? I was not until after I was diagnosed, I was totally one hundred percent unaware of it. Um, when I was actually, um, I was finally diagnosed because of equine therapy. Um, I was diagnosed for decades with PTSD, and of course, they've come out with new therapies, and you know, no therapy was helping or working or whatever. And so, when they start all these, you know, EMDR, and we have equine therapy, so I'm going to all this brand new stuff. And so, with the equine, you're in. The if you office. could just explain that, oh, yeah, I was I, just going to say, please explain it for everybody. Okay, equine therapy is working with horses. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, so you're in the office, and it and the office is on a horse ranch. Mm-hmm. So you go to the office. You're in the office. You may walk to the corral, and then you're with the horses, and you may even have therapy outside. So you change your setting, um, and working with the horses is the horses uh, will actually emulate your emotion. And it's to help people be able to read themselves. So you may not know what you're feeling, but the horse is going to reflect it. So your therapist teaches you how to look the horse in the face and know how you're feeling and to be able to identify your emotions. And so, so yeah, I was a different person in every single setting and had absolutely no idea that this was going on. And so what my therapist did, um, and she knew about a month before she told me, but she just, we call it G2 missions. <laughs> Military is called G2 missions. Mm-hmm. She was just on a G2 mi- mission for an entire month of, of learning who my personalities were and how to trigger them. Then she sat me down and uh, she made me change chairs in the office 
and she goes, you're, this, this scenario is going to happen, is happening right now. How are you going to handle it? And I would tell her, and then she had to make me change chairs and she goes, okay, now we're doing this. How are you going to handle it? And then after she did that, she goes, okay, I want you to talk to this person in this chair. And I thought that was really strange. And she goes, this person in this chair just did this. What are you going to tell them? Mm. And I'm going, and I realized I needed to tell them off. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what's going on here? And she made me do, kept doing that. And I was going, this is really weird. And, uh, and I just want to stop you. Yeah. And I just want to stop you there because I guess it, just the, the limited knowledge I have of this is I guess what I've read, what I've heard, how the different, um, personalities have, have just, there's, they're definitely, or they even have different names, different, all different kinds of, uh, even, uh, physical characteristics. Yes. Yes. Can, can they you talk do. a little bit about that? And, and was that something you experienced? Yes, I have. I, there were certain things that I, I thought growing up, like I'm ambidextrous. I'm not ambidextrous. I have right handed and left handed alters. So um, I, there were certain times like um, I taught my children how to eat with chopsticks. I have a daughter who lives in Japan. She only eats with chopsticks. So I taught my children how to eat with chopsticks. Guess what I can't do now? Mm. Eat with chopsticks. And guess I'm fixing to get on a plane and go to Japan and all my daughter has in her drawer are chopsticks. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sitting here and they that that's really funny to them because they're going, you're the one who taught us. Yeah. So it, it's like um, it, they're, there are other things I'm trying to think of some of the others, but um, they're just other things that I just always kind of assume these things. Oh, I have to balance. It's just really funny. If I do things with one hand for so long, I have to do them with the other hand and I have to balance myself. Always had to feel like I was in balance and I didn't know how to explain it to anybody else. I never heard anybody else do this thing and they were going, I don't get that. Um, But now that I know that I'm DID, that is basically what I was doing is keeping my altars happy so that one didn't feel, the right-handed ones didn't feel they were being left out or the left-handed ones didn't feel like they were, um, you know, dominating the right-handed ones. And and, and I remember even hearing about that you can have different uh, symptoms or conditions or even diseases and eye color even, depending on... Uh, right. Which personality? Depending, exactly. Now, I'm a little bit different in that I don't have different names, but I was so incredibly young. And after I found this out, I realized that growing up, I did have different names for different altars, but I was always put down and chastised whenever I wanted to use a different name. And so I ended up just you know, not creating those names. However, um, I did start, after I found out I was DID, I did start creating names for uh, nonverbals so that when in therapy, we'd, we would be able to identify who was who. And um, it, it was basically whatever script I was working on or whatever show I was binge watching. So it was just whatever name was on the top of my head. And we would say, okay, this one's this one. But I've also found out I'm not the only multiple that 
doesn't have like unique names for everyone. Mm -hmm. But I know it's because I was so young and that sort of thing was shut down really, really fast Mm -hmm. with me. And do you remember about like how many uh, multiples were there? I I have a friend whose husband is the pastor of a historic little church, mm-hmm. and I remember her taking me into that church and standing up and looking out, and I had to ask her, I said, what's the maximum this holds? And she said, 125 is our maximum capacity, and I remember looking out there and seeing all my altars. So having nonverbals, being able to look out and seeing, then we know um, those are all signs that my trauma began at a very, very early age um, and was very, very consistent. So um, I I don't, uh, what I do remember, uh, most of what I do remember is not traumatic enough to have actually caused a DID. Mm -hmm. And I know every time... um, we introduce to a new altar. It's like their somatic symptoms or the nightmares or the whatever are terrible. But as soon as I recognize that altar and start working with them, it's like, okay, you know, I exist. You know, this happened to me. I'm good. And I'm like, so I'm not going to get to find out what happened. Oh, you don't need to know. And, and that's yeah, a consistent <laughs> message that you get, like where, where it's, you just don't need to know. So you how do you, yeah. So how do you start moving uh, through that and, and, and making sense and meaning from it? So you know you have 125 altars. You know you you created them as a as a means of protection, and now you're you're in therapy. You're 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 learning about this. You're really seeing what's happening. What do you do? What do you do to to move through that? Um, it's very much a, a lot of what you talk about in your betrayal um, therapy and and the five steps you you go through. It's like. Um, you kind of go through that. You you have the shock. It's like, no. It took me six weeks of arguing. I have a wonderful therapist. She lets me tell her what I think about her and how she's the one who does who's crazy and doesn't know what she's talking about. You know, there is no way. Um, and so uh, she was really good. But there's that shock and then meeting them and, and having to deal with that. You, you are... It's just horrible. And then you realize all of this was for survival. You were the ultimate survival. Anything that you needed to do, every one of your altars was created to survive. So when you look at all your altars, you go, wow, I survived that many situations. So you have to start looking at yourself as a survivor. But the, um, the, the horrible thing is, is how you survived was dissociating. And so now it's your go-to. So every time you, you have a betrayal, every time you have a trauma, you're going to dissociate and create a new personality. So you got to stop that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so, how do you, and I'm going to get really practical. So let's say uh-huh. there is uh, another, another trauma. Your go-to uh-huh. is to create a, another personality. How do you, do you know when you're feeling that or going down that road and you actually can stop yourself? Only after I found out I was DID and I started recognizing when I was triggered and started recognizing the signs of going into it, started healing. And in the past, they wanted you to assimilate. Well, they've discovered, you, you know, you it's not doesn't work very well. So we work as a system. And I kind of like to think of it as an orange. So everybody is an orange. And whenever you're a single 
all your slices are together, all your sections are put together. With DID, your sections have separated. Mm. Now, you can never put your sections back together, but you're still an orange, but you can resemble Mm -hmm. those and we can, you know, put a new shield around and we can kind of look like an orange in function. And when you learn to work as a system, you learn how to call up that alter that best works in that situation. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you need a protector, then it's like, it's okay for you, for my protector to come out because Mm -hmm. I need a protector right now. Mm -hmm. Um, As long as we have an agreement, we stay co-conscious so that we don't, you know, no one has amnesia. And that's the hardest part is realizing that fading out. And once you realize you're an alter and you start fading out, Mm -hmm. you go, oh, (laughs) <laughs> so you so you feel it. So and then I'm hearing you referring to to you collectively as as mm-hmm. we. Is that something that will always be there? The we? Yes, the we will always be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it's once they feel like the core, the host, whatever you want to call it, because everybody has a different name. Mm-hmm. Um, I just it's just me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so once um, they learn to recognize that the the core is going to be able to take care of themselves because altars were created because the core wasn't able to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. So once they learn the core can take care of themselves, the core is going to use us whenever she needs to use us. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's going to call on us when she needs to. And that let's just all stay co-conscious. We're the same person. We all like each other. Uh, they're, I acknowledge them as someone beneficial. They're not out to hurt me. They are actually um, to my benefit. And having them and calling on whoever I need is actually gives me a sixth sense that other people don't have. Um, I have, because of what I've gone through, I have the post-traumatic growth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, so all of these things are very beneficial. So as long as as everyone's looking at life as a positive experience and that we're working together, we're all working together to survive, that they don't have to survive for all of us, then we can work together as a system and stay co-conscious and it's the closest thing we have to to being a single mm-hmm. um and so it, it just gets to be an uh, i don't i don't know i've talked to um people who have uh, worked together as a system for for a really really long time and they are just mm-hmm. almost feel just very much like a like a singlet is is a kind sing- of the yeah. phrase but um, just yeah, a way to manage it, I guess. So uh, we're going to be wrapping up, but I, I just, uh-huh. I really want to address before we do, uh-huh. how do you move through the, the anger? Is there, is forgiveness a part of this? And because, oh, you yes. know, I, there's so much, I guess, like you said, you feel you were betrayed. You felt that you betrayed yourself. So how, where, where does the, what do you do with the anger? And let's talk about forgiveness. We have about a minute or two left. 
Okay, I am um, forgiveness. You have to forgive, but forgiveness is for yourself. It is not, um, it's working on trust, but all the steps that you do with betrayal, that's exactly what you have to do. And sometimes you have to do that with all your altars. Your family betrayed you. Sometimes you have to walk away from your family. Your family was the toxic thing. That's really hard to realize that your family betrayed you and you have to deal with that betrayal. You have to deal with uh, personal betrayal because you betrayed yourself. And I know that you've talked about that, your personal betrayal. Mm -hmm. The thing with us is this, the only reason that say there was someone that went through your program and they go, that, that was not beneficial. Oh, that seems to be working. It's very beneficial. They go through it and then they go, whoops, it's not working anymore. That would be me. And the reason why is because every single one of my personalities would need to go through it. So if one personality went through it and they were healed, it's like, all right, you're great. But then the other one goes, well, you're healed. What about me? So I can't, so I'll blame that then on anybody who doesn't like my program. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You go, you need to go be checked out because, and that is what's so frustrating. Of course I'm kidding. Yes. Mm -hmm. But that is what is so frustrating about DID is Mm -hmm. you start getting better through, through something like this. And then you go, whoa, well now knowing that I'm DID, it's like, I know that all of us have to get together as a group. All of us have to work through the betrayal. And now that we can do it as a system, then we're all doing it at the same time instead of having to do one at a time, which is the beauty of having a correct diagnosis. Oh, that's that's just so brilliant. And JD, just to wrap it up, what do you want to make sure everyone knows before we before we close? It is, um, we're not, DID people are absolutely not scary. And also it's one of the least diagnosed um, things in, uh, in emotional injuries in the world, because even people who are, are doing their PhD work in uh, therapy and in counseling, um, I just had an intern and asked him, he's still in school, graduating in May. And I had to ask him, Um, what did you learn about DID? And he goes, I'm learning it from you Mm. because um, they were were taught just like everybody 20 years ago um, that it's so rare, you're never going to have a patient with DID. Mm -hmm. And um, so we're not even going to spend the time to address this issue. So I think that the prevalence is so much greater than what we we think because so many people with DID can live very productive, successful lives. Um, And so it just gets totally overlooked. Um, But we will suffer from depression and um, because it is so frustrating Mm -hmm. and so confusing and all the other things you suffer with betrayal, that's exactly what we suffer with. And it can so be... Uh, dismissed as everything else under the world. Wow. Well, JD, thank you so much, first of all, for your bravery, for sh- for really sharing all this information, because I'm sure uh, I-, I didn't know anything really about <laughs> DID and, and you really shed lots of light on it. And um, it's, it's just, it's just so important to know. And it's something that, that needs so much more attention. So uh, thank you. I, I am just so grateful for you sharing your story, your experience and your wisdom. 
Thank you very much. And and I will say this, if you want to know more about DID or PTSD, um, on my website, gettingtoknowus.com, uh, there's a blog, but there's also two free ebooks on there. So, and um, so if you, you, you're, you want to know more and what it is, uh, then, you know, be sure and, and check those out. And we'll be sure to have all the information in the show notes as well. JD, again, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. Wow, I learned so much during my conversation with JD, and I hope you did too. I just can't wrap my head around why anyone would ever hurt anyone. Of course, there's something very wrong with their thinking at that time, but the lasting impact of any betrayal, whether it's something you'd consider maybe smaller, like a friend telling your secret, or a large betrayal, like a parent or caretaker violating the very rules and the safety of those in their care, can be it can be so devastating and long-lasting. Please stay in touch with JD by visiting gettingtoknowus.com and we'll have all of our information in the show notes at pbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. It's so easy to fear and judge what we don't understand. You never, and I mean never, fully know what's going on with someone. I mean, just look at JD. Here's this beautiful and kind woman healing from such trauma. My suggestion, give everyone some extra kindness. You just never know how much they may need it. So I'll start by giving you a gift. Head over to pbtinstitute.com and receive my gift of how your biggest crisis reveals your greatest gift. And let us support you. Go to Facebook and join our group, Women Hacking Betrayal, where we give information, tools, and support to help you move forward and heal once and for all. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.